2: Welcome to high stakes episode 20 i'm your host neil orfield you can find me on twitter at player the producer of high stakes is mike lawrence you can find him on twitter at awesome yo and my guest today is a friend of mine uh you can find him on twitter at blender hd uh he's he's better known by his his name blender uh than his actual name which is jordan cooper uh I'm excited to have Jordan on. Uh, Jordan is a big DFS winner with a stated goal of winning 50 to $70,000 a year. Uh, He's also very transparent, shows his rotor tracker frequently. So I know that he actually has made a little bit more than that uh, over the last several years. He's a massive DFS winner. His most recent big win being an MMA winning over $100,000. Jordan is also the person who has said the most words to me on uh, on streams uh, because I am the regular co-host of the, or the regular guest, I guess, of the Theory of DFS podcast. I just counted up. I've been on 17 episodes with Blender. Uh, the, the constant feedback we get, some people love the show, but uh, the other feedback that we get is, I don't do a lot of the talking, Jordan. Jordan does much more of the talking than I do. Uh, but I'm excited to have Blender on the show today because maybe this will be my opportunity to, uh, to get some more words and ask some more questions. Um, I'll, start with, I'll start with the listener question, Blender. Uh, Pete asks, how does it feel to become the hunted as Neil becomes the host and hunter in this situation? And will Neil allow Jordan a word in edgeways? Uh, I've already got my quota in for, for words in this podcast. Uh, Blender, how, how do you feel being, being the
3: guest? It's a little different dynamic for us. I don't think it matters that much. I think I think even on the Theory of DFS podcast, you end up asking me questions as it is, right? I talk about something, and you go, Well, what about this? And then you respond back. And I mean, that podcast is not meant is meant to be my own podcast. I mean, yep. like people don't seem to understand that I could just do that solo if I wanted to. But it's like when me and Eric started it, uh, you know, almost two years ago during football season, it's like why don't just me and you have a conversation over the past slate and our strategic decisions as two sharp, profitable DFS players? And no matter what, it's a high-level discussion. And if I talk a lot, so be it. If he talks a lot, it's just it is what it is. And uh, my my favorite response to me coming on the show is is exactly what what I would have I would have thought is that you just ran out of guests.
2: No, I'm, I'm excited to have you on. Uh, yeah, I think I think it's funny because people give that feedback a lot. And honestly, I think that the conversations that we have on Theory of DFS is exactly how our conversations would go just one-on-one. Like if we were having conversations in person, because that's, I mean, that's kind of my personality is I, I ask a lot of questions. And when people, uh, you know, bring up concepts I'm curious to hear more so I'm I'm constantly asking you questions because I want to hear more about your thoughts and then people are like why is Neil not giving his opinion on anything and that's just that's sort of that's sort of the way my conversations typically go is I'm going to be asking a lot of questions uh and you you have a lot to say and you are a natural teacher so I think that you know on these shows you you uh, you're teaching people. So that's, that's part of the reason that it goes the way it does is because you are, I mean, we, we don't plan the conversations ahead of time. You have ideas that you want to talk about and you have a lot to say about these ideas. Uh, so I think that it just naturally comes to be you having much more to say than I do because they're, you're bringing new concepts to me oftentimes, things that I haven't thought about at all. And I'm just, my response is I have questions for you. So uh, it's, it's funny that we we get that, uh, that feedback a lot that I don't get to say enough because I oftentimes will get that feedback when I, I feel like, you know, there are there, there, sometimes we have episodes where I come off of it feeling like, yeah, I didn't say that much this episode. I was I didn't have I didn't have a lot of energy on this episode. I probably didn't bring enough to the table. Other times I feel great about it. Like, I feel like I, I got in all the questions I wanted. We had a smart conversation and we still get that feedback. Why doesn't Neil ever say anything? So uh, I, I guess that's that's just our personalities. That's, uh, you know, that's what well, it's going to well, be.
3: Well, people take it as like like. As, as my wife will say, it's like people don't realize how not a, not an asshole you are, like you portray yourself as. And uh, I think Ben Pritchett put it, put it very nicely. He tweeted like maybe three or four years ago. He's like, I have no problem talking to anyone and sharing literally everything that I know because that's what I'm passionate about. And it allows me to bounce ideas. I formulate things and then go, OK, well, what about this way? What about that way? And then. I want to hear pushback, but of course I'm from New York. So I'm used to, I'd rather you just interrupt me and go, oh, hold on. What well, have you thought about it this way? And I go, hmm, maybe I haven't thought about it that way. So it's not a matter of like, I maybe I do come across as like, oh, I'm a know-it-all. It's like, I know, I freely admit, I don't know it all. The whole point of me blurting out and talking about things is to work out problems and seeing if I could get there through a certain line of thinking and having someone else there that i respect to go well that's right that may not be right this could be better and and then going from there but i mean that also just is a byproduct of me you know if i end up talking 80 percent of the time
2: yeah and, and i think some people have the the impression that uh i'm afraid to push back and like i'm not at all afraid to push back if i disagree with you i'll push back right away it's just a lot of the time it's new concepts to me, or, or I just don't disagree with you. Like what you're saying sounds pretty smart. I think I agree with what you're saying. Uh, sometimes, you know, if, if I do have a disagreement or I think you might be wrong, maybe you're overlooking something, I will bring it up, but uh, you know, that's just, I, I'm not going to uh, force in a disagreement if I th- agree with you. So I, I don't know. It's uh, but I, I have really enjoyed doing the show. As I said, 17 episodes, I have been the guest now there have been 80 episodes in total uh, and, and, funny thing is I think now I've been 17 I counted up I think uh, Eric has been the guest for 27 Eric Beinfor was was the regular recurring guest to begin with uh, for 27 of them but there was a big period there where you had a bunch of uh, different guests on regularly uh, which which frankly I enjoyed that uh, I, I think a lot of the audience enjoyed hearing from uh, a lot of different people similar to this show so I mean a lot of people I think started to get the impression that the theory of DFS was meant to be kind of like this show with a you know rotating guest cast which is it's fun in its own way but it's also it's more work to, to bring in different guests every week uh, actually let me ask. I, I put this question at the end, but I'm going to ask it right here. Since we're already talking about the theory of DFS, what do you believe is the best episode of the Theory of DFS podcast ever?
3: Uh, the one with Nerdy Tenor, easily. That's a three-hour episode, and to, like to talk to someone like Daniel, who you know, pro poker tools. Like he comes from a you know, poker solvers. So like from that background of finding like. Really, really, just running the numbers and seeing, like, with all the decision nodes that you can make, and all the possible range of ranges of outcomes given this game dynamic, what is what is the optimal choice? What what what's the expected values of all your choices? And that's not something that that I can do, uh, computer wise. And that's he think he programs the way that I think. So like I'm trying to get to where he gets to. Intuitively, in some way, and he's trying. And the thing is, is that we've had a lot of conversations where he's pro he's he's programming things that that he doesn't know why the algorithm he doesn't even know why the algorithm is spitting certain things out. And I find it very validating when uh, what he spits out uh, equates to you know the game theory concepts that I I, I ascribe to. And I'm like, okay, so I, I am going in the directionally correct way, maybe not as precise as he is, and and as always with with him, he doesn't know whether or not his stuff is good either. I mean, like it's like based on all the projections and all the ownership and all the all the data that he has. This is we simulate these contests out a million times. You know, this lineup here, that lineup there, and this is what the constructions look like. Uh, Utilizing that to then learn how to play the game. I mean, that's like the completely opposite end of the approach that I have. So, I mean, I lis- I've listened back to that episode before just, just, to, just to hear and go, go how, how can I utilize what he is doing on a, on a programming level in a more, ha- like, how do I hack together my process to kind of simulate that?
2: Yeah, And I, I I actually knew, I, I was pretty confident what your answer was going to be because I think we actually talked about this after I had him on high stakes on the next episode of Theory of DFS, you said to me, that was your best episode ever. And when he was on the Theory of DFS, that was also my best episode ever. So I think he was, he, he's a very fascinating player because he's doing something that I think we all would dream to be able to create a program that does machine learning and, you know, comes up with correlations and tells us how to play the game naturally. That is That's kind of the dream for us. And I also feel like there's just so much to learn from, like, if you study his lineups. Like, you know, sometimes if I have a question about, like, am I stacking the right way? Should I be running, you know, five, three stacks in MLB? Or should I be running four, four stacks? You know, that kind of thing. I feel like there's value in, uh, in looking at the lineups that he's doing because he's not telling us to do those correlations. It's his, it's his machine learning that's telling him to do those correlations. Uh, so I find him to be a fascinating guest as well. And I think yeah, the that
3: perfect, was, if you could combine him and Whistles, I think that would be the best DFS player ever. What do you think the difference is between him and Whistles? Well, well, because Whistles is optimization guru, and and I, I don't, Daniel doesn't come from necessarily that background, because he's running everything True. like, like it's 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 it, it, they're related, but I don't think I I do not think they're doing anywhere close to the same types of things. I think Whistles is is using uh you know mostly publicly available stuff, mm-hmm. and then like based on correlation and uh ranges of outcomes putting together the highest ev lineups that he could possibly make in a portfolio while nerdy tenors process i think is much more game theory oriented and like like he mentions that has like it's lineups that are competing against each other to the point of an equilibrium i i i I don't think that's part of what what whistles does but of course i'm speaking from a context of like like i don't have a phd in mathematics so like like may- maybe they are doing something similar but they they don't at least describe it that way yeah I, and, and whistles also
2: uh, isn't quite as much of an open book as nerdy is. I feel like nerdy tenor shared a lot more of his process uh, than whistles did and you know maybe, maybe whistles would have been willing to go into it a little bit more than, than I got him to talk about it on this show um, I didn't didn't force the issue that much because I know that he plays it a little bit close to the the chest he doesn't want to be sharing everything uh, he, he did share on the show that he his process also invi- involves machine learning so both of them uh, have machine learning as part of their process which at this point is one of those uh, terms that like I find I'm really fascinated by it. It sounds like something that I'm like, man, I wish I could do machine learning. And I don't really understand exactly how it works. I think I have an idea of what it means and why it's valuable because it's, you know, you, for example, you, you don't put in the correlations. Your machine learns uh, uh, itself that correlations should be involved, but I have no idea how to do that. It's kind of above my head. It's one of those things that's just fascinating to me hearing people talk about it.
3: I, I've, I've tried to tried to do machine learning. What, I, what, I, what I've done is I've taken a Roomba vacuum cleaner And then just like put lineups around the house and then whatever it knocks into those lineups that I play. That's the closest I've gotten to machine learning. Uh, It's not doing very well. It's not working so far? No. I mean, small sample size, I'm sure.
2: It's just a small sample size issue. You'll get there over time. It's a smaller house. I need to get a bigger house so I can play more lineups. That's right. Yeah, because you don't even play 150 because your house isn't big enough to. Right, that's the the main reason reason I don't play
3: 150. I don't play 150 because I'm, I'm only doing it in my office and it's like I need to extend it. I need to get a mansion. If I could afford a mansion, then I can play 150 lineups. Well, that,
2: that answers uh, Buford DFS asked why you don't play 150 lineups when clearly there are only 150 uh, good lineups you can play in a contest. So I guess that answers the question for him. We don't need to uh, go, go back to that question. I, uh, while we're talking about machine learning a little bit, I'm curious if you have an opinion. How many DFS players do you think uh, have machine learning as part of their
3: process? How the hell would I know? I have no idea. I don't even know that that' mm-hmm. not the same machine learning that I'm doing with my with my Roomba. Sure, though, mm-hmm. you know I, I could do it with a my 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 mother in law got a got a similar like a lawnmower. My wife just told me to, like yesterday, like you got an automatic lawnmower for whatever. Like it's like okay, like she's upgrading. Maybe she can. I now I can play three hundred line. Yeah, I mean,
2: in in different contests, of course, you wouldn't play that. O- of open. course, of course, <laughs> obviously. Naturally. Uh, okay. Um, all right, well we, we got we got sidetracked immediately right there. but let's get back to uh, the, the usual questions that I start with with guests, which is just a little bit of background information about you. I think generally most of my guests, kind of know you uh, f- for the most part of people are watching my shows. They, they probably know you because we do a lot of shows together, but maybe it's a different audience. Maybe there are some, you know, stochastic part of the stochastic audience uh, doesn't know you as well. So let's talk about your background just a little bit. Uh, I mean, you just said that you don't really have much, much background uh, in statistics, uh, but I'll, I'll just ask anyway. What, what kind of background do you have in statistics or probability? Uh, do you have any formal or informal
3: training? Uh, I mean, I was an AP honors math student. So like, other than that, uh, I, I'm a high school dropout. Uh, not, not necessarily because of, uh, you know, I didn't do well in school. I just thought it was pointless. Uh, I, I joined a startup uh, during the first dot-com boom. So, like, I was, in, I was in high school, like, late, late like, 97, 98. And uh, I was an intern at the NYU uh, Re- Technology Research Center And they were were doing, like, artificial intelligence. They were doing stuff that's way advanced. Uh, I mean, even now it would be advanced, but back then. uh, And uh, so there I just, I taught myself uh, web design and web development. Because I was always a computer nerd anyway. So, like, I had a computer at home. You know, I I learned uh, basic, quick basic, you know, kind of little languages. You know, power user on, you know, Windows, MS-DOS, or whatever, whatever it is. Uh, you know, batch processing jobs, little terminal commands, anything like that. You know, the old school internet, a lot dialing into BBSs and telnetting in, and of course you're downloading pirate games like you do when, when you're a teenager. Uh, but but from from there, like I didn't I didn't go to I went to I took some classes at community college because uh, obviously parents were like hey, you should get a degree or something like that. But then uh, I ended up well, with a job uh, on Wall Street. As a, as a front-end web developer for stock, for basically stock trading sites and financial firms. So, like, I had to learn – basically, you're going ask me about computer programming. It's like I have old-school yeah. web development uh, <laughs> skills, which probably don't matter as much now. So, HTML and uh, JavaScript and Perl, Cold Fusion, SQL, uh, you know, enough – Back then, I mean, I would have to reach stuff up to do stuff now. Twenty years later, uh, but but pretty much, I learned uh, in doing that, like the UX conversion side of front end development. So, like, uh, I, I can't, I can't, you know, build anything. I can't, I can't build an uh, a front end like the optimizer, like fantasy cruncher. But I could design it. I could, you know, do uh, you know, like the the website for calls to action. Like it was all business oriented metrics because when you're dealing with a stock trading site like it's all about ease and error checking and because people are trying to you know 100 shares of this stock they're looking to short it or something like that it has to make sure that it works and back then especially like it, it costs millions of dollars to run those sites right because of the back end work and it has to tie in with the stock market so like i learned a lot of uh of uh programming to at least to, you know it's more linear based programming because you're doing it more for design and development purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, but combine that with, uh, with my, you know, like I was a good math student. I played games. Well, I played poker for a living for a while. So like, that's kind of, I, I piece things together, uh, and learn on my own very well, really just to get to the point in which it accomplishes the tasks that I need to, it, for it to accomplish.
2: Okay. So you, yeah, you, you just answered, couple of my questions in one you talked about your uh background in computer program your background in statistics uh you you mentioned that you were a high school dropout which i didn't know that uh and that's that's a uh, an interesting thing that i think so this is episode 20 i've had at least five or six people who are either high school dropouts or college dropouts or you know finished high school and never wanted a lot of people a lot of people that have been on the show uh, have not gone on to higher education it's, it's kind of a spectrum of people who i mean you say you dropped out of uh high school and then we have people who have you know advanced degrees, multiple advanced degrees, uh, it's a spectrum, but it seems like that's a pretty high proportion of people who dropped out of high school have been very successful at DFS. Do you have any opinion about why that might be, or do you think it's just a small sample size uh, on this show?
3: Well, I think it's it's correlation It's correlation does not imply causation type of thing. Like when people talk about like the the commonly cited statistic of like people with a college degree make X amount of more money over their lifetime than people without a college degree. No, it's that, it's that smart driven people make more money than people that aren't smart and driven and more of the smart people that are smart and driven go to college than ones that don't go to college. Doesn't mean that like, well, if I replace myself and I said, what happens if instead of I dropped out of my senior year and joined a startup that I just finished college, went to four-year university, uh, uh, university and then got a job like that, like what doesn't matter that much. And especially in fields where, Uh, Experience matters more than than a degree, like especially during that time, the dot-com boom, like if you had a resume that you could, like you had experience doing these, you know, uh, uh, software and programming languages, they were hiring everyone. So what ended up happening is that I had two friends that got uh, computer science degrees. They went to college, I didn't, and four years later when they're out of college – I'm the one that helps them get a job because I'm the one that has the connections and the experience where like all they have is a degree. And it's like, and people, and you go to these interviews and they're like, well, show me what you've done. And it's like, well, I, re- I really haven't done anything because I've just been learning in college. And especially in the computer fields, a lot of what's taught in college and computer science is not actually applicable in practice and how reality is. So like for me, like I learned, I learned all this stuff kind of on my own because that's what I enjoyed doing you know building little websites and for my, for my own projects and uh I think it's just a byproduct that like so I'm not a high school dropout and like oh my god I flunked out of school it's more of a I didn't want to show up to class anymore because it was pointless and boring and I was also the type type of type of student where uh just give me if you're going to if you're this is a history class right okay uh what are we going to learn this this semester Okay. Is it all in this book? Yes. Okay. So give me the book. I'll be back in four months. Give me the final. I'll get in 95 plus on the final. And if that's that's all that matters, right? If that's all that matters is that I retain this knowledge for some, some reason. Why do I have to show up every day for 40 minutes for you to lecture me on a, a chapter that we read last night? It's like, like just give me the if, if that if then make the test harder. If that, I can't do that. But that was to me, that was the main issue of like. I didn't mind learning stuff that I didn't care about, but I'd rather do other stuff. So when I had that internship, I was getting high school credit for it, but I had to take high school classes while I was interning. And uh, it was more fun to go to a to a tech center that had like computers that were 7 million times more powerful than my own at home and a broadband connection. Cause back then there weren't, we had like 56, 6K dial up modem. It's like, dude, I got a T1 connection and a powerful computer. And basically my only job for the internship was to cover the front desk for when the administrative assistant, because it was a research center. They had no job for me there. So it's like, get involved in whatever project you want or just, they had a media studio. I learned video production there. They had a full mid, like with green screens and audio stuff and all this software that I could never afford. So it's like, OK, for, for my social studies project, I made like a like a 60 second presidential commercial because it was some type of during the presidential election. And I brought it into class and people, people, they pop the tape in and it's like, what the hell is this? How the hell did you make this? It's like, well, because I what else am I going to do uh, when all I have to do is like from one thirty to 2.30, just cover the phones in the front desk and just say, ah, OK, I'll take a message for you. And, and that's and then I still have a computer and I'm still browsing the Internet while I'm doing that. So it
2: wasn't lack of motivation is what I'm hearing. It sounds like you were always kind of a hard worker. I mean, you just didn't want to do what people were telling you you should do in school. Is that kind of, I mean, I, I, I posited when I, I brought up this conversation uh, with RBX 88, the reason, and it, I kind of have the impression that, uh, you know, maybe it's people who are willing to drop out of school are more like thinking outside the box. Like everybody will tell you, you got to finish high school, you got to go to college, and you're more... I'm willing to think outside the box and outside the box. And I'm also not extremely risk averse because, you know, maybe it is actually not more risky to drop out of college, but you certainly had the perception when you're 18, or at least I did uh, that you can't drop out of, you can't drop out of high school or drop out of college. Like, what are you going to do? That's, that's a huge risk. So to me, it's, would you agree with that? That maybe that's a common trait among people you disagree?
3: Well, I disagree with that sentiment. I think it's more risky to do that. I think it's, I think going to college and getting a, a, a uh, regular desk job or something, middle, middle management or whatever. I think that's more risky. I think, right. I personally think that, that you're, Oh, I, I I'll, I'll go up the ladder. It's like, you can get laid off at any time. You're this is that, this is the, to me, it's more risky to rely on other people than it is to rely on yourself. So bet like the whole bet on yourself, but I'm not one of these like hustle porn type of people. It's just that, uh, my whole my whole goal since I was 23 years old, essentially, has been uh, how do I never have a, a quote quote real job? And throughout the entire time, even even from before then, it's like what do I enjoy spending my time doing? And then I do that, and I go how do I make money doing this? Right? Because it's not, and it's not a matter of how do I get rich. It's like how do I not have to do something else while I do the thing that I enjoy doing. So figuring that out each and every time. So like, like the the amount of things I've done through, throughout my lifetime. I mean, I I must sound. I some people say you sound like the most interesting person in the history of the world, because of all the the areas that I've I've been in over the past twenty five years. I mean, I was trying to run uh, fantasy basketball and baseball leagues when I was fourteen years old. Like as a service, as a like, well, I'll compute your stats and everything like that. That little business venture failed. But, like, I would find these little things that I enjoyed to do. And then, how, how do I make money doing that? Oh, i I'd stand-up comedy. Okay, I, I did stand-up comedy professionally. i poker professionally, web development, web design. I was a baseball umpire, making good money. I was, like, like in, at 16, 17, 18 years old, making, like, 300 $400 a week umpiring baseball games. And, now, of course, compared to my friends, I'm sitting there going, like, well, I can afford to do whatever the hell I want to do. Yeah. Right? And just doing that throughout the course Right, I ran a video game website for like three years. we made money doing that. And it's like I just bounce around and it's like, what's the thing that I enjoy doing? And then how do I make enough money? The key is not to make the most amount of money. but how do I make enough money that I could pay my bills and have a comfortable lifestyle so that I don't have to do something I don't like in order to to pay those bills. So that's where that fifty to seventy five thousand dollar, Kind of thing comes from, especially since I live here in Louisville and not in New York anymore, much lower standard of living. Yeah, it's like so that's where the nit mentality I, I mean, I don't think I'm that risk averse. It's just that my goals, my goals are just pretty, pretty modest. Right. So you, I feel like you're, I, I didn't send you
2: my questions today. I didn't uh, tell you what I was going to ask, but you're still answering all of my questions before I get there. Uh, my next question was just going to be, tell me about your professional background prior to DFS or any related hobbies. You just covered you were, you did comedy. I listened
3: to the show, Neil, dude. I listened to 19 I, don't know, I, always ask this question. I know what I don't you're going to ask. Uh,
2: yeah, that's fair. <laughs> but I don't even always ask the, the question about, uh, tell me about your professional. That was, that was, that was new last week. Uh, anything else you want to say about your professional background
3: or related hobbies? Or is that, not is that not covered? not really. It's just that uh, I mean you kind of covered it, right? And I also while playing DF, like I've only been playing technically, if you want to call it full time, since 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 COVID, since the pandemic, mm-hmm. like if you want to call it that, like since 2011, uh, I ran my my own business. I had a partner. Uh, digital marketing, basically web design and digital marketing, mostly for local businesses. So, like the the, the non sexy type of stuff, the the plumbing supply company, the the uh, real estate agents, lawyers, you know, like anything that's more more local based, not e commerce style. Even though I can do that. Uh, so so over the course of you know from two thousand eleven, we uh, we had up to up to twenty clients at a time. At, at, at points, I mean, we started small and you know at, at, at a point in like 2016, 2017, and I started playing DFS in 2015, we were up to about 20 clients and I was I was working you know, six to eight hours a day on the, on these clients. And then obviously there are meetings that you have to go to around town and and calls and everything and doing basically doing web design, SEO, email marketing, social media. Uh, you know, AdWords, Facebook ads, and you know that—that's my specialty. I've been doing that. I've been using the the Google AdWords platform since before it was even AdWords, so since two thousand and one. So, like, I go way back. And because of the, the 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 when I was working on Wall Street, it was all focused on this this UX and conversion. Like, I just took that to like, how do I apply that to to small businesses and make it so that you know, it's the simplest things of like. Well, you know, when 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 I when I uh, there's a dentist that has a website, and then the, the, on the front page, there's the, they don't have a phone number? It's like, well, what do you expect people to do? They gotta call you, right? Let's put your phone number there. Like, it's some of some of the most simple things, and then testing stuff. So I'm used to downloading, you know, Excel spreadsheets for for all these marketing campaigns and A/B testing. So like my Excel knowledge kind of comes like at a three out of ten comes from that, but I'm not usually doing much computational stuff in Excel. It's just more visualization of just like, let me download all this stuff and see what days work, what things work here. And just like, okay, I could look at a chart and then you print it out for the clients and then you could go over it with them. So like during that entire period, I had clients, but I worked primarily from home unless I had to go to a meeting. So like playing DFS and studying CSVs throughout the day, eventually, you know, my six to eight hours of client work turned into like two to four hours a day. Like, like I'll get this done, get this done. And then I have four hours. It's like, okay, time to study stuff for DFS for the day. And then by like 2008, 2019, I just pretty much stopped like soliciting for clients. Now it gets to the point, a lot of these local businesses that I tell them it's like a two to three year plan. I said, said, because they, was my, my business model was based on a monthly retainer. So they didn't have to, like, they didn't have to come back. It's like, you pay me, like, a cable bill. If I have more work to do in one month than another, then you, you get the benefit. But certain months, then I'm not doing that much. But you're just paying one fee. Uh, but I tell them, he said, after about three years, you don't really need me anymore. It's like, I'm more than welcome to have you as a client, but I'm going to just tell you that there's nothing really more than I could do for you, for th- especially for this price right? You could up, if you want to go to a bigger agency, I would refer people to that, but it's just, like I'm trying to get you a certain point. So we'd have some overlap and most of our clients would last three to five years. So like once you stop soliciting for new clients, then 20 goes down to 15, goes down to 13, goes down to 12. And I was doing so well in DFS and then kind of doing content in the industry also for a little bit of recurring revenue as well, uh, because you want to you know, diversify your income streams as much as possible. Uh, Then by, 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 by the time COVID hit, I only had like three or four clients left. So I still had three or four clients. And then basically COVID, all of them basically said, uh, we can't, we, we have to severely like cut our budget for now, at least. And I kind of lost all those clients, but, I kind of was waiting to lose those clients to begin with Had a good timing. Yeah. Right. It's like, I did, these are all clients that didn't need me anymore. I mean, I literally told them like, like six months prior, it's like, I'll, you don't really need me anymore, but they're like, no, we've done so well with what you do. It's like, okay, but just understand I'm not really doing that much work anymore. Like I could hand this off to someone in your office to kind of just make sure nothing blows up. And if you want at that point, once a year, once every six months, to pay me for an hour or two at a time just to make sure that everything's still set up correctly. That's perfectly fine with me. And a lot of them are just like, nope, we're fine with it. And then, but at that point, especially uh, two, two out of the four were like travel and tourism type of stuff. Like that basically they said that, like, well, no one's coming. So, like, what's yep. the point? And that's pretty much when, well, I have no more client work anymore, even though I was only working like maybe five to six hours a week on those. So it wasn't that much work to begin with, but that like, that's kind of my, my, my full background of what I do. I mean, that we'd spend most of the time on that. Yeah. I mean, we, we could go all day just talking about your background. Uh, so uh, the talking about your
2: background kind of brings up uh, a question that I had because you, so you talked about how you had the goal as an adult to never take a regular job working for somebody else. Uh, you also have the goal in DFS to make Fifty to seventy thousand dollars a year. Just have this be your your regular uh, salary, regular income. Uh, how important do you think it is in DFS as a DFS player to have a goal in mind for for how you're playing?
3: I think it's important. I mean, it should for anything. I mean, you should have a goal for anything that you do. And I'm not. And people people talk about it, you need to have dreams and stuff like that. It's like like what my dream is never having a real job. Okay, like that's that like that is a reasonable dream. Right. People have dreams of like, I want to be an astronaut. No, I want to be a, I want to be the, I want to be an all-star basketball player. I'm 43 years old. That ain't going to happen. Right. So something that's, that's, that's reachable that you can realistically see yourself doing. Because I think the problem with people that have too lofty dreams is that they, people that, I'm not talking about the people that are like the visionary type people, but the, every ordinary average person their, their dreams that there's are so far away in their head that there's, no, there's that, that, there seems to be no realistic steps to take to reach them. That being more reasonable with your dream that you would still be really happy achieving is much better. And and, and it's people call it periodic steps of like, have a small goal and then the next goal and then the next goal. But even if you think in that mentality, calling it a small goal means that you really have an a, a, a different goal right like but people in dfs it's like oh i'd, I'd like to i like to turn a hundred dollars into a thousand dollars that's a small goal it's like so once you get to a thousand dollars you quit dfs they go well no I said so so that's not your goal your goal like so why are you trying to get a hundred dollars into a thousand dollars it's like well so i could turn a thousand dollars into ten thousand dollars okay so would you be happy at the end of it to have ten thousand dollars Said no, because I would turn that, I want to, I want to win a million Like, so that is your goal. So like you're lying to yourself in your head. Like me, I'm not lying to myself when I say if I could just make 50 to $70,000 a year doing DFS or just doing something that I love. It doesn't have to be DFS. Five years from now, maybe I'm gone. Maybe I'm doing something else. Like to me, that's realistic and I'm legitimately happy, right? Yeah. If would I love to make five billion dollars a year? Would I love to have 50 billion dollars? Sure, yeah, okay. but in, in the back of my head that's not that's not my that's, that's not my goal. The fact that I, I get to do this what we're doing every day, I mean, what w- shouldn't that be the goal? I mean like like there are tons of people listening right now that have a, a job that they hate and they're like, I want to be like I want to be like the guys that I watch on on Stochastic. Right. They get to talk about baseball. They get paid to do all this. A lot of times they don't realize how little you get paid in comparison. (laughs) Uh that 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 it's it's not something that that you can necessarily, you know, buy a house with or anything or pay a mortgage even. Uh, but it is an income stream. And they're like, oh, I want to be one of those, I want to be one of those people. It's like, like, well, if that is your if that is your goal, that is attainable. But if you're thinking in terms of I want to be, I wanna be Alex Baker. And I want to be the top DFS player in the world, and I want to have uh, you know hundred thousand dollar screenshots and million dollar profit. It's like that's probably not attainable. And and if you right. and if you want to be that, and you're starting from a from a position of knowing very little about statistics and probability, knowing very little about computer programming, knowing very little about game theory, it's like what possible steps? Can you take? And and then what ends up happening to 99% of people is that they try to find the shortcuts. They're like, there's no, like, so when I tell people, I mean, people call me condescending because some people ask very, very rudimentary, like very fundamental questions about D- that, the very basics of DFS. And I have to tell them, I said, you'd be much better off. Go on Khan Academy, go on, you know, the Coursera or something like that. And literally just take probability statistics classes. If you want to go to your local college, community college or something like that, said you'd be much better off doing that and spend six months. Don't even play DFS. Just spend six months doing that just so you even understand that's just the basic concepts of what like what an average is. Like what 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 like the very core Things that if you don't just even get it on a conceptual level, I can't possibly see how you could be successful at DFS. And what ends up happening is that people don't do it because they're like, like, well, I, I want I the want show Why can't I just look at this chart and it'll tell me what to do? And like that, that, you have to learn how to read the chart because the chart isn't even saying what you think it's saying because you don't understand the mathematical concepts of how those numbers even come about.
2: Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Jordan Cooper to tell you about our sponsor, Nois Advantage. Nois Advantage is bringing you a different way to enjoy DFS with player props contests. It's 100% peer-to-peer to to help level the playing field, with over 500 player props offered. All new users get a $25 deposit bonus with promo code AWESEMO. That's A-W-E-S-E-M-O. Noah's Advantage has mass entry capability with big prize pools. Beat your friends, not the house. Use our Noah's Advantage projections and optimal lineup tool to help you take down big prizes. Download in the App Store or play on Noah'sAdvantage.com. Uh, so, Blender, you, you said that uh, your, your goal for 2022 was to make fifty dollars to $70,000. And in January, you had an MMA win for like $110,000. So, did No, you no that was in January. That was
3: last year. That was last year. Are you, I think it was this year. Cause I made a joke. Not a, hundred, not a hundred. Not th- a hundred. No, no, I, I, no, I think I, I had like 40,000 in MMA. And then I also had like a 45,000 in NBA in March. All right. MMA. All right. So, so you exceeded your goal by March. So did you stop right. playing DFS for the year? No, because I mean, it's one long game. So it's like, <laughs> when, when I say 50 to $70,000 a year, that's an average, <laughs> right? Cause we're playing because it's just like poker. When people say uh, uh, like in poker, uh, uh, my like, my goal if i is to make x amount of dollars per hour, typically judge it by an hourly rate, but like if you go in, if you buy in for five hundred bucks and then you 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 win a couple of hands or something, and two hours later, you have seven hundred dollars. It's like, are you gonna get up like it's like, well, you made two hundred dollars for the night, isn't that good and uh and people do that people say, oh, well, I'm up this, and I'm gonna to go I'm like, well, what tell me what the difference is if it's now 10 o'clock at night. You started at eight o'clock at night. If, if you showed up tomorrow and the same game was here with the same people and the same stack sizes in this cash game in poker, would you think this is a good game, a profitable game to make money? And they'd go, absolutely. This, this, this is a very soft game. I said, so why aren't you sitting down now? Like, what's the difference between you cashing out now, walking around the block, and then sitting back down at 1030, and you're just calling it tomorrow? Like that, there is no difference. Either you're in a profitable situation or you're not in a profitable situation. And and in fact, the more the more skillful you are, the more events you want to happen, the more trials, the more you want the largest sample size possible. So I can understand if the, if the game isn't good anymore, right? I can understand if all of a sudden all the all the worst players busted out and now it's five handed with. Mostly, you know, nits that and good players that you're not going to get much money from, yeah, get up then. No matter if you're up or down, even if you're down five hundred bucks, get up there. The game's not good anymore. so so to me, that's to me, that's how i I think of things of like just because I'm up, you know, sixty thousand dollars in two months, like is are the games not good anymore? It's like, no, the games are just as good as when I won the money. So why wouldn't I why why wouldn't I continue to play like I would normally play? and hope on average, like, I had a year like, like two years ago where, you know, it wasn't that profitable that year. And it's only because of that year dynamic, right? You shift the year three months yeah. like, and do it for every three. Like, if you go from October to like, I started playing October 2015. If I would go from October 2015 to July 2016 as the 12 month period, every year I, I've been massively profitable. Mm-hmm. But because that three month shift, I had one 12 month period that happened to be a calendar year of January through December that it was like low flow five figures instead of like mid five figures or even six figures. So it's like, like looking like that, especially if you're treating your bankroll as a bankroll and not something to just go out and I'm going to spend money on a BMW for no reason, you know, like that type of thing. Like I could go, if I have a year with no profit, that's perfectly fine because I've had a I've had a year where I had two hundred thousand dollars worth of profit, so that counts to me on average for like three years worth of income. That I'm not obviously the government's getting some of it, but I'm not I'm not outspent. I live pretty frugally, comfortably, but frugally. I mean, like I, I have one pair of shoes. I, I wear you know pajamas and boxer shorts. I wear a hat until it until it goes. I don't. I'm, I'm not a stylish person. Uh, we have me and my wife have one car, right? Like we, the the only thing that we maybe splurge on is that you know, well, okay, so we'll we'll get the Uber Eats or something. We'll pay for a delivery service, kind of like the time saving type of things that we have. We have money that you know, some some of the you know, it's get me pay a gardener to do the lawn type of thing. Like I, I don't, I'm not like a, that much of a nit like that. But we're not, you know, we go on vacations, we go to wrestling events. Like that's kind of what I spend my money on, but for the most part, like, uh, like pretty much, you know, the bills are paid, and you know, yeah, I subscribe to a lot of subscriptions. Uh, so maybe I have Paramount Plus when I don't watch anything. Well, I watch Picard, and I actually act, I pay nine ninety nine a month, even though I forgot about it. And like, like those are the types of things that yes, but I'm not going through credit card statements, going, let me take this off and let me take that off, types of things. But I, but I, what I describe. I believe is attainable is realistically attainable. And that's kind of how I, that's the perspective. And from where I teach from that, mm-hmm. I am not special. I didn't get a degree in, in math or finance or any of this. Yes. Yes. I, I do have a mathematical mind. I do have experience when you're playing poker and you're playing 30 hands an hour live, or God knows how many online you're constantly making EV decisions. Like you're just, you're in the mindset of expect of just the concept of expected value that like everything you, you, it's your brain is trained that way. So to look at DFS as a game of expected value, even if you can't compute the actual numbers, like why can't you play the game better than most of the average players and getting Mm -hmm. up to that level isn't, isn't as, as hard as it looks like, especially with tools like the ones that stochastic, like, Mm -hmm. Like, dude, as long as you understand how those numbers are made, so you understand the context and what you're looking at, just the concepts of that, Mm -hmm. I don't, I, I, why couldn't you be profitable to the extent of what I'm talking about? Yeah. So with that, I don't, I don't, I, 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 I don't, I don't, I don't think that's controversial. Okay. So say your goal for what percentage of people do you think
2: it is a realistic goal to make $50,000 $50,000 to seventy thousand dollars a year, if you're willing to put in the
3: work. A hundred percent. I mean, what you what percent
2: of people are capable of?
3: No, okay, maybe not a hundred, but not. Trust me, I deal with a lot of dumb people, so no, no, I know that it's not. It's not a hundred percent. And obviously, like, if we take this to the extreme, there has to, there have to be losers yep. in DFS, right? right? So, like, if everyone had the same knowledge, we'd all lose to the rake, right? Yep. So it'll get to a point where. Where, yes, the games are too tough to beat beyond the rake. But I rely on the fact, and I've said this on the Theory of DFS podcast, and I've said this on a lot of shows, that I have no problem being 100% transparent, 99.999% transparent, because I do not give out my MMA, exact MMA fighter rating numbers, only because those are the actual numbers I plug into an optimizer. So I don't want people to especially in a dupe type of contest, not to build the exact line. They're probably going to be out close. a question
2: from, from Jonah Shiffy. I asked exactly that question. What is your exact <laughs> formula? So I can, I can X out that question now.
3: Right. That's the only answer. thing I want. Like, but I'm not, I'm not joking. I think that's literally the only thing. I'll, yeah. I'll even share the Excel spreadsheet. I'll share, As long as you don't have my formulas, like you can build anything you want, but you gotta, you got to weigh the things in the way that, that you know, you got to do little simulations that I do and put the numbers in the right spots. So I, I go through, here's my methodology, but I ain't gonna tell you how much I'm weighting this only because you're gonna come out with the same number as me and then plug that in. And the highest leverage lineup, I think is supposed to be unique. And then it ends up being duped seven times because everyone has the same numbers in there. So I can't do that. But other than that, I'm, I'm 100% transparent. I teach everything like there's n- nothing. And like I, here's all the edge, here's, here's it all. I'll go through experiments. Like oh, I'm trying this, I'm trying to find an edge there. I'm trying to find an edge there. Two reasons. One, uh, is that if I, if I don't do it, someone else will. Same thing happened in poker. Like yeah. it's super system, Doyle Brunson, of course that's still, you know, way dated now, or, or theory of poker or, or, you know, the Dan Harrington tournament books, all the, all the stuff. Like and I read all of them. I read all the poker books. Uh, you know, the mathematics of poker, uh, Someone's going to do it. So, and someone's going to do it and they're going to make money doing it. So like, well, then why the hell, can't, why, why shouldn't it be me, right? Yep. Am, I, and, am I the greatest player? No. David Slancy wasn't the greatest poker player, but he was a great theory of poker teacher, right? Doyle Brunson ain't, ain't, ain't the greatest poker player ever, right? And even his book isn't even the great teaching, but for that time period in the late 70s, that was a great teaching tool. So it's not about mm-hmm. being the best player. And of course, I'm saying this with Alex. You know, being well, he's not the number one player anymore. He's he'll, maybe he'll get maybe he'll get there by the end of the year. Uh, but he's well, been he's, a, not, be, he's
2: not trying anymore. I mean, I think that's right, Part I of him stepping back a little bit is he's not
3: trying to chase. That I, I think I think you, you, you don't mind learning from a, a, a top two player in the world for four years, like right? I think that I think that's good enough. Uh, but what, the two points that I was making is one, someone else would do it anyway. Right, so the information is going to come out, maybe a little bit sooner than than it would, and then the more important thing is the second point: is that no matter how much of that information is out there, ninety-five percent of people won't do it.
2: So, so, so I mean, I, I just asked the question. You said one hundred percent of people are capable of. So you think oh. that most people are just deciding not to. They are capable of following your advice. All the advice. I mean, you you are, as you say, ninety-nine point nine nine percent transparent. And I, I mean, I do shows with you, I know how transparent you are. You are very willing to tell people exactly what, you know, the, the way you think about different problems. You think that most people are capable of following your advice, but not willing.
3: That's correct. I mean, I, a lot of times on my, on my early morning shows, if there's like an early slate or something in baseball, I will literally make my lineup live fly on like, and exactly what I did. Like this, this is what I look at. I'm, I'm talking through everything, of course for the course of a show it's like a 45 minute to 60 minute show it'll take me not normally 10 minutes to do it but because i'm explaining everything it's like okay these are the i'm i'm doing some single entries i'm doing this i'm making a build of 40 lineups for this and and i'll just do it cuz here's the content this is do you want to learn from this here this is what this is what i do but what ends up happening is for 95% of people since they have not taken the time to learn the, the, the concept, the mathematical concepts that they view things in terms of like, what are, what are the settings for an optimizer? Right. Like, right. It's like, well, now he's teaching us the settings. And it's like, oh, 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 so do you play a five, three stack or a four, four stack? And I'm like, well, it depends. Right. It's the same thing in poker. It's like, okay, uh, what do you do with uh, ace queen uh, uh, under the gun? Plus one. I'm like that in and of itself doesn't tell me anything. Right. You're not telling me, formats of games, that's, I mean, so, the fact that you're asking that question means that you don't even understand the, the the fundamentals of like, here are all the variables you have to weigh into your decisions, Mm -hmm. right? If you don't understand that there are variables and what you have to weigh, you, you start thinking in black and whites. Oh, you got to play this, you can't play that. You got to do this and and no good DFS player, if you talk to them, will ever give you the, 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 the common parlance in, in poker is that, you know, every answer to the to a poker question is, it depends. Yep. And the same thing exists in thing. DFS. Yeah. Right, right, so the types of people.
1: For the best TV viewing experience, witness the coziest maroons, the most vibrant and brightest moons, the eeriest and darkest tombs, and radiant and vivid hues in any type of room with the Neo QLED and OLED TVs by Sam we're supposed to say Samsung, but that didn't rhyme, so <laughs> you're welcome. Samsung, more wow than ever.
4: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit PrizePicks.com. Slash play one hundred and use code play one hundred. That's code play one hundred at pricepicks.com slash play one hundred for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars. Prize picks daily fantasy sports made easy.
3: That get that don't understand it depends. Are that? that's the 95% of people. The people that once you say it depends go, well, then they'll ask, what does it depend on? I'll say, well, here are the things it depends on. And they go, hmm, but why do, why do those things depend on those things? And now you start to piece all these concepts together. And then now you could look at a slate tomorrow, just like every poker hand is different. You could look at a slate tomorrow, the size, the scope, the contest, the, the player, the salary ranges, everything, and go, well, based on these concepts, I think a good strategy is to do this. I think a lot of people will do this. And if I do this, I will get more value doing this way. And then once you start doing it over and over again, you see common themes. And now once, just like in poker, you start processing information so much quicker. I remember when I started playing poker, I I was analyzing my hand histories for two, four limit hold them online, right? So literally I would play for four hours and then analyze literally every hand. Every single like on a two four limit hold'em game because I'm. Um, this is before Poker Tracker. This is before you could just import this into a software and have it do it for you, and then seeing where my leaks are. It's like was this the right decision here based on this bait? And and I'm reading books over and over again. Like that's to me, I'm I'm more of that type of learner. I'm the type of I was the kid that when they got the video game, would uh would not plug it in until I read the entire instruction booklet. Wow. Right. So. I the way I say things is that you I think that you could I've done so much content in this industry from live shows from you know for three four years soccer podcasts from way back or anything said said if 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 you listen to it, just li- listen to it all and and I'll say and I sold I'll say that to people I said so you really expect me. To go back, there's 80 episodes of the Theory of DFS podcast. Their average is like two hours old length, right? Uh, so that's 160 hours. I've done like 400 of my morning shows, which average about 45 minutes to an hour, right? So there's like, what, 500 hours of that content. And, and I'll say, so just go back and then listen to everything, even on slates that were from two years ago. And if you listen at all, I don't know what else more I could tell you because I've explained everything so many times. That you should be able to get it by now, and their response is, "So you really expect me to do that?" And my and I'm I'm not joking when I say this. It sounds it sounds like I am. I said it's exactly what I would do, because when I played DFS when I started playing DFS, I was I was watching uh, shows on on competing sites uh, from like, two years ago, because I basically like Jonathan Bales. Like I respected his work and how his mind thought about DFS. So I'm like, I want to watch every show that this guy has been on. And you know what I did? I watched every show that that guy was on because he wasn't like a regular host. So it's not like you're watching like every single day, but I must have watched watched 100 hours of video and audio, Uh, NFL slates from 2013. And I'm not even playing NFL. I'm playing soccer DFS. And I'm just, how does he think about the game? And just watching, it, especially like I said before, I work for myself. I get it. You have a life and whatever like that. But if you want to get on that level, what what can what can you control? All you can control is what you do, not the luck of what happens in a game. So I'm the type of person, at least, that if I had a regular job, and I did when I played started playing poker. I had a regular job, but the commute, back to work, I read poker books, right? When I got home, I like literally during work, I could think of nothing else other than poker. I did my job horribly. I'm a horrible I'm, I'm a horrible employee. But that's all I could think about, like literally not like get home, not sit at the dinner table, and it's like, I'm printing out my hand histories and going through. I'm spending two hours and going through. Then after that, I'm reading this book again. And then I'm playing for an hour, and then I'm gonna check like and 16 hours of like nothing, thinking of nothing else other than that until you get to the point where you don't have to spend 16 hours anymore because things are coming quickly. This all sounds so daunting, but like it is my personality. So, like, yeah, like to me, I I don't find that difficult to do. It's helpful to be obsessive, to to, to get to be a good DFS player. I think I've, I've heard several
2: people say that it's just, it's one way to be good is if you're obsessed with it, that's how you get good is you just put in the time because you love doing it. I mean, that's ultimately like, I don't think that I knew about the theory of DFS podcast until you were maybe 40 episodes in. And I've probably listened to at least the majority of the episodes uh, that you did before I ever discovered it because I'm kind of obsessive about DFS too because I want to hear you know, everything that uh, you are saying and that your various guests are saying too. So I, I went back and I listened to a lot of those and I don't actually think it's that much to ask because if you love... DFS, And if you really want to be good, you'll probably enjoy doing it and hearing, you know, the different things people are talking about. So I think that's probably a reasonable thing to ask to go back and, and listen to shows because it's not like you're, you're asking people to go back and listen to really boring content. It's stuff that they're wanting to learn. And this is, it's a great way to learn. Um, all right, we we we've gotten a little bit. Uh, we haven't gotten that far into all my questions, so I'm going to bring us back to talking about your background a little bit more. I, I got sidetracked and asked you some some other questions just because they came up. But uh, this is what got,
3: happens when you host, Neil. See, you got
2: to uh, yeah. you got to steer. I never do this to you though. When I'm your guest, I never lead you off track. Or I guess I guess I do sometimes. I ask questions that are uh, completely out of the blue. But typically, uh, yeah, I I, I don't uh, steer you the wrong way. Or when I'm the guest, I don't lead you astray. But I guess yeah, you're right. I, I gotta I gotta get us back on track. Uh, all right. You, you said that you got started in DFS in 2015. Is when you started playing. Uh, what what drew you in? Uh,
3: I I only watch soccer. Now I used to be a humongous sports fan when I was younger. I played in rotisserie baseball leagues and fantasy basketball, hockey, anything. So I go back to season long back when I was a teenager, uh, and even even in my early twenties, like uh, you know, either home leagues or Yahoo leagues or CBS Sports Long leagues, paid li- and, and for rotisserie baseball, I was hardcore to rotisserie style baseball, uh, with with like deep rosters and everything and auctions, is like a two hundred dollar entry fee, like like we meet in person, a live draft, like that type of stuff. Uh, but once you get once you get to, in, in my mid-20s, I was playing poker, and I just didn't care that much about sports anymore, other than soccer. I've been a big soccer fan since probably maybe the 94 World Cup. So I've always followed soccer, no matter what. Uh, so in uh, 2015, we got a USL team, a uh, Division Two soccer professional soccer team here, and I joined their supporters group, and I'm active very much in the in the local soccer scene here. And uh, because I only watch soccer on like NBC Sports, and and uh, and and I don't know, well back back then it was Fox Sports, but on the channels where like DraftKings and Fandle weren't even advertising, right? So like I didn't even know these sites existed until I heard them on some podcasts, and I thought they were these like Probably some like like challenge games. I remember sporting news, the back of the sporting, News, pick your guys, mail them in and maybe you win a million dollars like type of like promotional publishers clearinghouse type of thing. So I had to kind of just, okay, whatever it is, it is. And then someone in the, in the supporters group uh, knew that you know I would maths very smart at math, very good at games, uh, and he played on Draftkings and said, said you, you, fought, you, you you know more about the Premier League than anyone else that I know. Uh, do you play on DraftKings? I go, no. It says it's like it's, it's 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 fantasy soccer, and I I've, I've played the 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 official FPL Fantasy Premier League game, but that's that that is very similar to what, like the per, the the person that wins out of like six hundred thousand people or something gets like a firm handshake and like a twenty dollar bill or something. Mm-hmm. So most people play for fun. Uh, so like, I thought it was something like that, and then I looked into it. I'm like, okay, I'll look into it. And the lobby looked like the poker, online poker lobby, different games, different stakes, different everything. It's like, this, look, this looks semi familiar. And I said, I, I, I know the Premier League. I could play the Premier League. Stop it. Here's a $5 contest. Here's a $1 contest. So I deposited 400 bucks. I learned the scoring system. And of course, what did I do before even entering a lineup? I go on Google. And I go, Daily Fantasy Soccer, and I just like, anything that I could find, and especially back then, and even now, there isn't that much Daily Fantasy Soccer content. Yeah. So you read uh, the two articles out there. Right. So just going through, just finding just basic stuff, basic strategy, because I knew it's a game. Someone had to have written something about this or shows, and I found some a video here and there, an article, uh, and – it was, okay, based on this, okay. And then I selected a lineup. I played a couple, a couple of contests and I was playing like 10 or 20 bucks a slate. And then it would just be like EPL on Saturdays and some Sundays, MLS on Wednesdays and some Saturday nights. So I was playing like maybe three or four slates a week and just basically learn and then learning at a play and seeing that the same people are in my contest and go, uh, let me take a look at Saramek's lineup because this guy seems to be, all over the place, I'm winning, right? Let me take a look at this pew, 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 right? Old old underscore T, I don't know who this guy is, but these guys are in everything. They must be good at this. How is my lineup different from theirs? And then I go from that to, oh, they have an ability to download a CSV of your contests? It's like, and I'm, I'm I'm fine in Excel. It's like, oh, so I could, instead of clicking through and looking at each lineup individually, I could just get it on a spreadsheet. Okay, let me do that. And that, that's all I did. I was playing 10, 20 bucks and just like, let me study the oh they're they're oh they're playing these types of players more than those types of players. Oh, set piece. Oh, because they take set pieces. Oh, because they're wide. Oh, because they're a fullback and they're cheap and they're all they're on a favored team. And then you start piecing these things together. And then next thing, next thing you know, um two months later, uh my lineups like in like double ups and everything were like two V2s off of them. Like I got like most of like, okay, if I jam this in and whatever, like that. All these goal-dependent forwards aren't worth playing back then in that scoring system. So I learned how to play DFS that way. And then uh, on Boxing Day, which is uh, the day after Christmas, all the soccer teams, all the Premier League teams play. Uh, I went up and down. I had that $400 deposit and would go up and down a little here and there, a little there, a little on MLS, down there. And then I, I won a whole bunch of satellite tickets into their like $20 Boxing Day contest, which was an absurd entry fee for me. Right, even though I had plenty of money, I, but to me this wasn't an investable thing yet. Right. right, so I was just playing around with it. So I won like like eight twenty dollar tickets. So I was like, "Wow, I'm playing. I'm playing plus that. I'm playing for like two hundred and fifty dollars on the slate, which is like five times more than we normally play." And then I came in like I didn't come in. I came in like fifth, ninth, twelfth. Like I I, I captured like five of the top twenty spots. And it ended up uh, up $2,400. Nice. So it's was like, nice. And of course, what do, you, what do you do after that? You're like, well, they normally have a $27 GPP that's like that structure. I think I'm good enough to play that now. So my $2,400 within two months was back down to $400, right? Because the variance of playing and everything. Yep. And then during that time period, that uh, prompted me to learn more, study CSVs, and from that 400, I got all the way back down to 400. And from that 400 by, by October, I turned that 400 into about $16,000 or so.
4: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on prize picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. slash play 100 and use code play 100 that's code play 100 at prizepicks.com slash play 100 for a first deposit match up to a hundred dollars price picks daily fantasy sports made easy
1: some people don't think horses and people communicate we call those people not horse people not horse people don't know you and your horse share a unique bond or that your horse knows you know they like your dogs but not so much the barking. At Sentinel Horse Nutrition, we don't knock not horse people. We're too busy focusing on horse people's horses. With extruded nugget feeds for exceptional nutrition and formulas for every need, our wide choice of feeds makes it easy to find the fit for your horse's health. Find theirs at feedsentinel.com. And then this is
3: 2016, now. Yeah, 2016, right. I played a little baseball during the summer right? Because they're, they're, you know, they had the Euros, the world, the Euros were 2016 for soccer. Mm -hmm. So they had some Euros contest, but also it's like, well, I'll, I'll play, I'll play major league baseball. I'll try that. And there was much more content on fantasy on daily DFS, MLB DFS. So I read a ton of stuff on that. And that's, I learned correlation and leverage and all those, all the concepts not because people wrote about those concepts is because they were kind of writing about how to be different. It's like, what does that really mean mathematically? Right. Cause I knew it's like, there has to be someone that wrote the theory of DFS my whole time in, since 2015 was there poker. There's all these books. Someone, some, enough people play this game. There has to be the theory of DFS just like there's the theory of poker and poker. And the only thing I found with the Bales books, the fantasy football for smart people and he does talk somewhat about game theory in there, but it's still very basic stuff mm-hmm. that I would, I would suggest to beginners. And it's like I can't find any like, like more higher level, two plus two publishing poker level type of stuff And until 2016, 2017, ownership projections, more optimizers, <coughs> and then you get more of that content. But even, even as of uh, <coughs> 20, 2019, Or whatever, 2020, when I put out Theory of DFS, it's like the whole time I'm like, if no one's going to do this, I'm going to do it. Because there like, there has to be something like this where it's not a matter of watching a 60-minute show and getting, like, four minutes of, like, I'd love for them to talk about that a little bit more and not, like, 56 minutes of of who to play at third base.
2: Uh, So – uh, I'm curious now. Now you're talking about uh, how you came up with uh, the theory of DFS course. How did you find James McCool to, to be your? Because he he's the co-author with you on the theory of DFS podcast. So how did you guys kind of come together? Did you approach him to do it?
3: Yes, it like uh, I mean, I, I've known him around the industry. I know he he worked on a, he worked with a couple other sites. Uh, the main thing that I, since I think more conceptually, I consider myself a concept an intuitive conceptual type of player. Not an analytical player. Not, mm-hmm. you know, I'm not running numbers. I'm using other people's stuff. I understand how they're made, but can I do that myself? Well, no, I'd rather outsource that. That's one thing you learn in business. Mm-hmm. Whatever your core competency is, is, is you never outsource your core competency, but you outsource everything else. So my core competency in DFS or in poker or anything is typically reading other people, right? Reading other people and devising strategies to exploit them. So like, same thing in in digital marketing. How could I make more sell more things for lo- less for less uh, cost per cost per acquisition? And how do I finagle that? And it could be the most weirdest of strategies, but if it works, it works. I don't even have to question why. I'm not even sure why it does, but it does. And then I try to take those concepts and put it into another industry or into another facet and just test things out. So since i'm I teach from that perspective, that conceptual slash intuitive perspective. I need an analytical person. I need someone that that could say, "Well, this is conceptually how projections are made." I I could do them, but and then I'm never going to do them as good as other people. That that's what they their their core competency is. So I need to bring someone that does do those that does do projection models, that does do simulations, that does do those types of things. No matter if they're the best in the industry or not but at least they're able to then explain the details Mm -hmm. of what conceptually it is. It's like, okay, here's, this is what a normal distribution is, right? When you, yeah. What's a Monte Carlo simulation? Like, can you explain, I'd rather not be the one to explain it. I'd rather be someone that actually does it that would be explaining it. So that's the main reason why, why James is on board because you know, he works with Excel and, and, and statistics and modeling, like, every day. That's what he does. So yeah. I think I could teach the concepts well, but I having, like, you know, the, the data analyst as backup, so I don't just come across as, like, well, you're just pulling out these concepts out of nowhere. I have, like, here here's the proof of that. This is, this is how it actually works.
2: So he complements your, your approach pretty nicely. Uh, how long did it take you guys, then, to, to create the theory of dfs
3: uh master class uh i think maybe in total maybe 80 ou- 80 hours okay
2: that's not too something bad. like
3: that it's a 15 it's a 15 hour course uh i think we recorded close to 20 hours uh but when i say close to 20 hours like there were a lot of pauses like what what you hear is extremely edited okay because i edited everything to remove pauses to remove coughs to remove if you're going to sell this thing, it's got to sound good. There were our points. podcast, <laughs> Right, right. There's not a po- Right. It's not a podcast. It's more like a seminar. Yeah. So there are points where I may have repeated myself. Where, like I, oh, this, I, I kind of repeated. I, I go off on a three minute thing that it's like, I really just re-explain what I just said. I don't think this is necessary and cut it out. Or James would chime in and kind of say the same thing that I said before. It's like, okay, we don't need that. So like I could cut out a whole bunch of stuff that why you listen is repetitive stuff or something that just doesn't doesn't sound explanatory enough. And then I repeat and then I would redo it again. But we just left it running. So I knew that it's like, OK, these three minutes, I'm going to start over and do it this way. And so a lot of times I would pause in between sentences. Mm -hmm. Just to gather my thoughts and go, what would be the next thing to say? So there are a lot of five second pauses between a lot of things. I don't want to have that in the course. So like a heavy amount of editing for that. Obviously we had to outline everything beforehand, but it was mostly a conversation. It's very similar to, to stochastic type of shows. Mm -hmm. Like if you had a conversation about that, but we had a Google doc in front of us going, we have to hit these things mostly in this order. And sometimes it would be 10 minutes, sometimes it would be eight minutes, sometimes it would be 22 minutes, and we'd try to hit everything like that, and then from there, obviously, I did all the stuff with the website, and uh, I I hired someone to make the design of the the quote book, to make it look like that, and I turned all that stuff into social media images, connected all the, you know, to add the email list, and because, I mean, that's, that that type of stuff is, that's my core competency, so I'm going to do all of that myself, Uh, but Throughout all of that, it, you know, pretty much like 80 hours. It, it, for the 20 hours of audio, it took me twice as long to edit, right? It okay. typically takes you about twice as long, two to yeah. three times as long as the piece is in order for you for edit it properly. So, like, out of 20 hours of audio, I spent about 40 hours editing it okay. just to get the pieces off here. It, it, he was too low over there. Let me normal, let me, you know, increase his volume so we're about even. I mean, I'm going to normalize it at the end anyway. So there's a lot of work to make sure that that the odd that that if you listen to it, you could listen to it in bits. You could listen chapter by chapter. You could revisit chapters and go like, let me, hey, uh, five months down the road, let me go v- revisit this again because the way that I learned how to play poker was to just read books over and over and over again, even if I already did, because you're going to pick something else up. As you play. So read, play, read, play, reread, play. So the course is really designed as a seminar where you could listen to the whole thing all the way through. But understand, that's not going to be the only time that you listen to this. You're going to listen to the whole thing. Then maybe you play for a couple of weeks. And then maybe while you play, you notice something. It's like, yeah, that's very similar. Why I chose that guy is very similar to a concept that I remember in chapter six. Let me go revisit chapter six to see if I'm getting this right. And then you go and go, yeah, oh, yeah, I think I am picking this up. And then you play some more. And then maybe maybe once a new sport comes, you know, a new season, NBA season starting up, it's like, okay, listen to the whole 15 hours again and just go. You never know. Even though you listened to it before, since you've been playing and getting better, hopefully, and applying these concepts better and quicker, that maybe the next time you run through, you go, yeah, you're right, I'm doing I, maybe you're doing a lot too much of one thing and too little of another thing. You go, yeah. Now that you mention it, I think I'm I'm drawing way too much on this, or I'm weighting this way too. much. I, I care too much about correlation in NFL, and I should be you know having instead of having these types of stats, have those types of stats. Maybe that would be slightly better on certain contests. So kind of like, I the course is meant for like as anyone else making a product. I made the thing that I would have wanted to listen to in 2015.
2: Right. Okay. You, you also, you timestamp, uh, it, if you listen on the website, you timestamp the different concepts that you go over, which uh, is probably helpful in, in re-listening to it uh, mm-hmm. if you do want to go back and revisit uh, different concepts. Let me take a minute away from this conversation with Jordan Cooper to remind you to give us a like and subscribe so you can keep up with all of our shows, DFS offers, giveaways, and much more. Once you subscribe, hit that notification button to get alerts when our shows go live. Be sure to also check out our monthly podcast giveaway. Just subscribe to our podcast channel and leave a five-star review with your Stochastic username or Twitter handle to be entered to win a free month of Stochastic plus platinum. All right. Uh, so, so getting back to uh, more general questions. So we, we've kind of covered your, your background to the extent that I wanted to uh, do it chronologically. Um, so just more more general questions at this point. We'll get into some. I got a ton of listener questions that we're going to cover. So I'll have my answer. What kind of listener questions could they be? I know. Who are these people that have all these questions? A lot of a lot of the questions we got are just joke questions that uh I, I'm throwing out or, or, or lumping together. Uh, we can talk about more general concepts. we I've already crossed a few out that we sort of alluded to briefly, more, more jokey questions that I was maybe not gonna ask ask anyway. But uh I'll, I'll start with a couple of my own questions. So in which sport or sports do you think that you have the biggest edge?
3: Uh I would at this point I would guess MMA. Uh, because that they there there the duplication advantage there. I think to realize that edge, that's tough. But I, I think it's the, the biggest edge there. But if I had to if I had to bet on any sport that I would play against someone randomly in a head to head, it would it would be soccer. So like like to, to me, my my best sport from a a cash game slash small field GPP perspective that I'll, I'll I'll bet you give me a Premier League or a Champions League slate. You give me any slate, dude. You could give me a weird soccer slate where I have to go and look up the stats of these guys, like and no one could possibly project this well. Like I'm like that that's gonna be, that's gonna be my my bread and butter. I. Yes, the soccer lobby is very tough on DraftKings. If you're going to play against the regulars, I don't want to play against the regulars because but then would not neither of us are going to beat the rake. But you're going to step in those waters, boy. It's it's a it's a steep learning curve because you're going to get your head smashed in. Uh, but since yeah, I've been playing soccer DFS for almost seven years now, so yeah, so it may not be the one that I have the biggest edge in, but I I think that. It'll always be profitable for me. Okay. So
2: MMA, probably the the biggest edge relative to the field. Soccer, so my impression, just based on our conversations about soccer, is that even though you're very good at it, there's not as many weak players in soccer. Would you agree with that? That At least in the cash setting, there's not a ton of weak players. So it's harder to realize that edge because you just don't have as many opportunities against weak opponents.
3: Right. I mean, a lot of times, like unless you want to play against the best players in the lobby, you just can't get that much volume down.
4: Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Price Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepix.com play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code PLAY100 at prizepix.com play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. PrizePix, daily fantasy sports made easy in that case, I
0: pronounce you lucky.
1: Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.
3: Right, it's more of that type of thing. Yeah, yeah, sure. I, I'll, I'll do what I normally do. I'll post my, my head-to-heads up to typically $215. Uh, and it, sometimes, you know, sometimes I don't sell any. I mean, sometimes. And all my blocks on DraftKings are soccer people. Right? So it's because that's I I don't, don't, there's enough people that play all the major sports when I do play cash that if I get paired up with with people, who cares? Mm -hmm. Right? I'll I'll, I'll ship my money, right? We'll play, we'll have a a baseball head-to-head, a basketball head-to-head. If I, the auto-match, the $5 ones, whatever. Whatever happens, happens. Uh, But in soccer, it's just like, nope, I just want to make sure, you know, that I don't get auto-matched with Redcoat or Saramac or Pew or Fear My Turtle or any of those, even though with other than Red Code, Red Code doesn't mind taking action against everyone. Uh, most people will not even take your games anyway, so it's like yeah. sometimes the blocks aren't even necessary. Uh, but that also leads to a fact of like I enter all these contests in soccer on a Saturday, and I have like I've my my upcoming entries is like thirty five hundred dollars, and then when it locks, I have six hundred and thirty two dollars in play because nothing else got taken, yep. and I guess that's that that is what it is. So, yeah so like t- to me to me uh, soccer is uh, maybe in the large field GPPs you could play but those are tough that they're they're very top heavy in soccer they they try to promote this 10k to first like 150 dollars to, to like eighth place and like those curves are just so stupid that like I don't, just don't even bother so like I'll play typically the main like 120 whatever the 121 or 220 222 like GPP, uh, which isn't a single entry. I'll just play one entry to that. And then I'll just play basically a catch, you know, play all the double ups, all the triple-ups, all that like I'll be in every contest in the entire lobby for that one lineup and then just build that one lineup. And that that that's what I that's what I play. But I I love soccer DFS. But the main reason why after a year and a half of primarily playing soccer DFS as I move to the other sports is because even back then. Just the liquidity really wasn't wasn't there. The 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 edge, the soft action, going after the 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 bad players. There just weren't enough of them. That it's like I think there's more money to be made in MLB, NFL, NBA, and that's really how I transitioned from being a soccer DFS player primarily, like from 2015 to 2017. And a lot of people don't know that. If you went back then, you wouldn't you wouldn't know me as a soccer guy. Like you don't play anything else other than a soccer specialist. And now it's 2022, and I tell people, it's like, "No, my best sport is soccer DFS." I go, "You play soccer DFS?" It's like, "Dude, that's what I was like known for 5 years ago." Like, you didn't you didn't know me from 5 years ago. So like, like to me that that that's how I view that that I'm not going to play every interleague two games slate on a Friday for the French League because like first place is $500 in the main GPP and the entire head to head lobby are all sharps. So it's like, what, why am I bothered? Yeah. It's two o'clock in the afternoon. Yes. I'm not doing anything else, but I, I I could better spend my time than chase after what could possibly be a, a 1% edge at best.
2: Yep. And you, you've talked about this. Uh, we've talked about this a lot on the theory of DFS. Uh, and you've talked about also that in general, uh, a big part of your approach to DFS is contest selection and trying to find the weakest opponents or, or the contests that have the most weak opponents in it that you have a clear edge over it. So it makes sense that if, uh, if soccer is getting to be too good in general, if the field is getting too good, uh, so it, that, that's a big part of the reason that you moved on to all these other sports. And, and now, so MMA, do you, do you think that MMA is the weakest field currently in a large field GPP?
3: Based on what I play, yes. I mean, I, it, there could be other sports. I mean, I don't, I don't play all the sports, so I don't know. Probably in the niche sports, you could. If you're a specialist in the niche sports, there's probably tons of edge there. If you're great at college basketball, college football, League of Legends, you know, the, the showdown golf, who knows? Who knows what yeah. it is? It just so happens that soccer was it because. I followed soccer that it's really, I wasn't drawn because it was a niche sport and I wanted to make money playing DFS. It was literally the only sport I followed. So what else am I going to play? But an MMA based on, based on the contest data from, I got it only because of, because of COVID, right? Cause all the sports went down and then like the German Bundesliga and soccer came back. So I'm like, okay, I have something to play. And then golf kind of came back a little. So I'm like, okay, I'll throw, I'll throw some stuff into golf. And then it's like, oh, they're going to do Fight Island. Dana White's going to be in wherever in the Middle East. Like, there's nothing going on. So it's like, I'll, just, I'll, why can't I learn? I'll learn a new sport. And then once I looked at MMA, I'm like, this feels a lot like NFL Showdown. Mm-hmm. This feels a lot of like, like, dude, I, I just, I'm aiming for uniques and stuff like that. And then I, I download some CSVs from the first couple of contests and I'm like, God, how did this? Is, some of these contests are that there are more duplicated entries than you find in NFL showdown obviously because in NFL showdown there are actually more players to choose from and there's a captain slot but in MMA there's not even a captain slot so we would have these like 13 fight cards and i'd find lineups that were duplicated 100 times 150 times they'd be like they'd be like tw- like 27% of the field is lineups that are duplicated more than 50 times or more than 30 times and i'm like like these, these, these lineups are not, can't be profitable. And then I look at what are the best players doing, right? Cause that's what you, what are the best players now? Oh, oh, as expected, they have more uniques, more under fives. And then you start running the projections on them and everything. And you go, okay, I this, to me, this is, this is not a game of MMA. It's a game of who can build a high a lineups that are more unique that still have a high enough win probability And to me, that's then that it doesn't come down to knowing the fighters. It just comes down to building lineups better. And it has gotten a little bit better over the course of, uh, what, two years, but not that much better.
2: Yeah. So, I mean, you say that it doesn't come down to knowing the fighters, but uh, I mean, that's the whole qualitative versus quantitative conversation that you and I have had that I had with Brian Jester uh, and you had yesterday or or this week on your, uh, you had a different guest on this week on the Theory of DFS, where you talked about that a little bit, how the Sims often uh, get it wrong, you think, in calculating the EV of different lineups because they're not doing that qualitative analysis so how important do you think that it is to know the fighters in mma to know like the the
3: styles of uh styles of fighting i think context is key i i i i think that the concepts of i think knowing dfs game theory concepts is worth more than knowing the sport Mm -hmm. in general but knowing the sport is an edge right if you're better at predicting basketball rotations you're going to have an edge, but that's like the last 5% edge. The first 95% is just knowing how to play the game well. So as long as you know how to play the game well, and then you get the extra 5%, then you're one of the best players in the world. So like there is a point in knowing, I'm, I'm the type of person, I don't watch the games, I don't care, whatever. Like you can, but that can't be where you start from. You have to understand the con- the, the what projection, leverage, correlation, all the, all the concepts of DFS duplication in a sport like MMA or NFL showdown and how all those variables interact with one another. And then from there, it's like, okay, where's the, where are the high variance fights? Cause the meat that these mean projections may mean nothing, right? Got 62. It's so like this, but neither is getting a 62. One guy's getting finished and the other guy's getting knocked down. It's going to be, it's going to be either this goes the distance and no one scores well or one guy gets 120 points. Yes, the middle is 62. But no one scores. No, it's going to be 20 or 120. But how would you know that? Like, one way is the betting lines. Obviously, ones that are less likely to, to inside the distance, right? That type of thing. But just knowing that just there's good. It's, it's two people that don't have gas tanks. One's a submission grappler. The other person's a knockout artist. It's like the inside the distance. Fight does not go to the distance. Minus 700. It's like, expect this to be a high variance fight, which means yep. one guy's going to score a lot and one guy's going to score very little. So, those are the typically, those are the fights that you're looking for in GPP. Now, in double ups, you probably avoid them like the plague because yep. if you get it wrong, you're going to get five points or something. So, like, like, that's what I mean by context of like, if you're just looking at mean or median projections, like, you could see a sta- even if you want to extend that over to the standard deviation. Like you still may not get what that really means, and this comes back to you could have all the tools in front of you that you that you have. A stochastic, I, I I look at stuff here all the time, right? That in MLB and NBA, I, I I I'm either looking because I think the information is good, or even if I didn't think the information was good, I know other people are looking at it, mm-hmm. right? So it's it's one of the two. But if you're looking at something and it's like, oh well. The standard deviation of these two fighters are way higher. Now, conceptually, if you don't understand statistics, if you, like we talked about before, well, what does standard deviation mean? Like, if you don't understand what standard deviation, you just see it as a number. And people would go like, oh, you want, you want higher standard deviation fighters. And then what ends up happening is someone thinks they have the magic bullet and they go, well, I'm just going to place the six highest standard deviation fighters together and then they wonder why uh, that they're constantly getting four winners and two losers, five winners and one loser. They're like they're not getting six one. Win- and then one of the lower standard deviation fighters puts up like ninety eight points and is in the winning lineup at seventy six hundred or something. And they're like, but you're telling me to play the high variance fighters. It's like that do you understand what that means? It just means that the that zero or one twenty rather than, 20 or 100, but it doesn't mean that like, like, because they're all high variance, like, what are your chances in in 12 fights that you get all the six high variance fights, right, and they all end up being optimal, not necessarily the highest, so you may have to mix in some lower standard deviation fighters, because that is actually more probable, and it's still unique, so it's like, how do you take all these concepts and weigh one against the other, and when you have just numbers on a, on a on a on a screen, I understand what they mean. But if you don't, if you have don't understand probability and statistics, just the basics. You're not learning formulas. You don't have to go and sit here and do math, really, even in your head. Right. But just what what is what does this conceptually look like? What does this number mean when someone says that the top opt the this this uh, this uh, the baseball player? right this basketball player right we'll see on the basketball slate uh nikola jokic has a x percent chance of being in the optimal lineup mm-hmm. right well first off do you have to have the optimal lineup probably not. no typically I, not no basketball. one has the optimal lineup and that does have some weird players in it yeah right okay and then why is jokic has such a high probability to be in the optimal lineup is because He's projected for so much. Uh, or is it because there's there's like two low-priced basketball players. You get one of those slates where someone's injured and like there's a guy that's a 4K that should be 7,500. Mm-hmm. And because you could jam in two so highly projected players at 4K or 3K means that most likely the high – Giannis and Jokic and LeBron and whoever is more likely to show up in the optimal lineup. So if you just looked at those numbers and say, well, I got to play Jokic now, but I'm going to fade, but I can't play the 4K guy because he's chalky. I'm going to fade. He's 86% owned, right? Right. He's 80. He's, they project to be 86% owned and go, well, I'm going to fade. I'm going to, they're going to use the concept of leverage, right? They're going to go, I'm going to fade because that, I want to fade the highest owned player. And it's like, they don't understand that the guy that's 86% owned should be 96% owned. Right. They're underowned actually, for their price. And if you don't use that guy, the likelihood of Jokic being in the optimal lineup goes significantly down. So now they're building a lineup with Jokic, a, a different 4K guy, and a different construction. And they're going, well, based on the numbers that I saw on, on Stochastic, like, that should have been a good lineup. And I'll look at it and go, no, because one thing has to go with the other, right? right. You have to understand the reasonings behind what you're looking at. Not basketball reasonings, but why certain things are the way they are. Why would this come up more than that? We see the cheap pitchers always have positive leverage, right? These cheapies that are going to be 1% owned or less, there's like, well, they have a 2% chance of being in the optimal, which is twice as much as their ownership. So it looks like, why are we jamming in cheap pitchers? Well, the, 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 the cheap pitchers are only more optimal in lineups typically with a stud pitcher also. Right? Not two cheap pitchers. Once you put two 1% owned $5,800 garbage cans in the lineup, your optimal rate goes down significantly. Right? But you're looking at just a chart of two things. And it's like, well, these two are the highest leverage pitchers. Let me play them. Like, that's you looking for a magic bullet, not understanding the concepts of the numbers. You have the numbers! Like, this is uh, – getting right back to the 95% of people don't use it. Yep. You have the stuff. It's all in front of you. If you just took the time to, to simply learn basic probability and statistics, you'll go, oh, now I get how all these things interact with one another.
2: Would you agree that this is a bigger problem for hand builders than people using – Optimizers, using the example you gave of the Jokic and the 86% owned $4,000 player, uh, if you if you x out that 86% owned uh, 4K player, an optimizer is going to give you less Jokic naturally if you're using it correctly, because the optimizer is trying to build the optimal lineups based on you know your settings and what you're telling it to do. So it'll naturally give you less Jokic. Whereas, so it's a bigger issue for hand builders who are trying to. Uh, Who are trying to x out that player and still use Jokic? Would you agree right? With that?
3: But 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 optimize but optimizer people, the optimizer bros, the opto bros, right? They've 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 another problem on their hand. So yes, the hand builders have have that problem, right? And I believe that you could learn so much more of hand building before you touch an optimizer. Yeah. Because then you'll learn the lineup dynamics. If you pay down here, you got to pay up there. If people are going to do put together what you think people are going to do and then go, well, if they're going to do this, that means this player has to be less stoned, right? It's just, it's natural. You're going to go, people are going to pay, a, pe- people are going to jam in Embiid, people are going to jam in this guy, this 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 cheap power forward that's 4K, they're going to jam in this cheap point guard that's 4K, and then they're going to, and this is what they're probably going to do. And then you look and you go, well, anyone that does this, well, who can't they have? Well, they probably can't have uh, something, you know, Kevin Durant. Or something like that. So it's like, well, then you build a lineup with Kevin Durant in it. Right? Like, just simply that of like, well, how do you get different? Like, that's what an optimizer is going to eventually do for you, right? Right. Once you tell it what it to do. But once you see in real time that you're just doing it slowly, just like I studied the hand histories in my online poker, you see it very slowly. And then once you do that over and over and over and over again, you build multiple lineups. Well, people could are people going to do this, they're not going to do that. But they're also not going to do this. They're also not going to do that. And you see different construction types and go, well, I'm going to play that guy. And and you can still look at the projections to see who are the better point per dollar plays or anything like that and just start figuring out how do I get a 3v3, a 4v4? If people are going to pay down at at center, they're going to pay up at point card. Let me pay up for Rudy Gobert. Let me pay eight. No one's paying 8K for that range. How does that change my lineup construction? And maybe you still put it into an optimizer and go, I'm going to manually put in my lineup into and lock the players in and go, this lineup projects mean-wise for X amount of points. And you see what what people are more likely to do is like four points higher. So it's like, well, you're playing large field GPP. Like four points of projection is not that much to sacrifice for being that significantly different. You got yourself a good GPP lineup, right? Doing it things slow like that. Once you learn how to do that, then you could go to, then you could start going to an optimizer, whatever one, whichever one of choice that you want to use, and then not look at these things as just like magic settings and go, I could visualize the lineups that I want to play that what and use it as a research tool, even run some run 100 lineups that don't have that player in and what do they look like that have this one in, what do they look like, and then go, okay, I want more of this and more less of that. And you start piecing things together where you can visualize a lot of times when I use an optimizer, I'm putting stuff in and I almost know what's going to come out. I know I'm, I'm going to get a lot of this team and that team. I know I'm going to get a lot of that player and that player. I know it, the more I play this cheap guy, the more I'm going to get that that expensive guy. And the more I don't play that guy, the more I'm going to get a mid-range build. And then once once you start learning that, that the optimizer is there for, as a tool, you tell it what to do. Then you start to use it use it more properly. What ends up happening though, like I said, the Opto bros have their own problem is that if they're using it as a, let it decide what lineups to build. Th- the problem is that you're using mean projections right. and mean projections aren't like they may be fine for cash games, but that that's not a, that's not representative of a player's actual range of outcomes. It's closer in basketball, obviously because so that's much more normally distributive, but just because you have the highest mean projection doesn't mean you have the you have the best lineup. And that and this is outside of even like just the ownership perspective of like the lineup that's more likely, even if you took like a, 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 a 50-50 co- a contest where everyone's just trying to build the best mean lineup out of 10. If you took the top 10 mean lineups and everyone agreed on the projections, right? Everyone agreed on it, on what the mean projections were. The floor and the ceilings are different for each player. It's quite possible in the first top 10 of mean projections that the most likely uh, lineup to win first out of those 10 is the eighth lineup.
1: Mm-hmm.
3: Like that, it's possible the eighth lineup actually performs the best, then the second, then the fifth, then the first. Even though the first has a higher mean uh, projection, Based on the players in that lineup, in the eighth person's lineup, have slightly higher here, slightly lower there. So based on this non-normal distribution, because it's close basketball, it's at least closer. Yeah. But like in baseball, like these, line, these 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 players don't have normal distributions. So if you're just a slave to the optimizer, a lot of times if you're if you're if you're optimizing for mean, it's gonna it's gonna it, you and you'll see you'll you'll know it what I'm talking about in most sports. It wants to jam in those those cheap point per dollar guys, right? There's some some leadoff hitter that's twenty two hundred dollars. It wants that seventy four percent of your lineups is a one off because because their sit their they're, their mean projection is six point eight for two thousand, and they're also going to be high owned because of it. They're going to be right. you know eighteen percent owned. And then you go, well, what happens if I don't play them as a one off? We're saying, well, whatever team that guy's on, you're going to get a lot of that stack, right? Also, and. Just because he has a six point eight mean projection for two k doesn't mean that it that he's more likely to be in the winning lineup or not or anything. like it's actually it could be detrimental. so then then what ends up happening is you take him out and then it starts jamming in the twenty three hundred dollar player that's batting sixth for some road team with a four and a half point total because that's the best point per dollar value. And if you don't know how to how to rectify kind of these situations, you end up with a lot of those same type of looking lineups that if you simulated them out may actually be much worse lineups than lineups that are are, are more balanced builds Mm -hmm. or where you're paying a – instead of paying two stud pitchers, you're paying down slightly for an 8K pitcher so you don't have to play the 2K guy. That may – it may actually have a two-point lower mean projection but actually have a higher win probability because of – the, that 2K player's range of outcomes may be really narrow and doesn't have many, you know, this 90th percentile outcome isn't all that high. So it's like that's the that's the downside of using optimizers as a – the optimizer tells you what to do instead of right. you telling it what to do.
2: Yeah, and I think uh, you and I are similar in that I was making – I was hand-building lineups for – six years before i ever used an optimizer so i i came into using an optimizer from the perspective of how do i get this thing to do what i've been doing for six years already and i think you come from the same kind of Mm probably not six years because you didn't start in 2013 but at least a a few years of hand building before you ever
3: use an optimizer is that true yeah i mean i hand soccer i always hand build my lineups i didn't play that many i played you know at 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 the 15 lineups when i was playing large field stuff and i would just hand build them golf when i got into golf i was hand building i'll build 20 60 lineups i just build them by hand i'd tally them up on a sheet of paper to make sure i'm getting i'm getting not getting too much of one guy or the other guy and then in in uh in baseball i was building like 10 lineups in baseball mm-hmm. basketball i was lead, when i when i won uh, my first uh the, the, what 100,000 in in basketball those were all hand built lineups like literally all, like, I, I think I built, I think maybe 12 to 15 lineups that day hand, hand built them all and just go, going through it with the same concepts. I still looked at projections and go, well, this, 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 piece this together and go, okay. You know, that satisfies all the concepts of what that lineup should look like and then go to the next one and go to the next one. And then once you, once you start to figure out that, ah, what you're doing is actually profitable, then it's like, well, how do I make more of these? Yeah. And then once you get down to how do you make more of these, then it becomes not feasible to be making 40, 50, 60, 80 lineups by hand because you're going to be sitting – I mean, dude, it would, take, it would take me 45 minutes just to build 15, 20 lineups. Imagine me building four, four times more than that. Yeah. That would be ridiculous.
2: Yeah, just not, just not feasible.
3: This has been part one of my conversation
2: with Jordan Cooper. You'll be able to find part two next Friday on the Stochastic YouTube channel or wherever podcasts live at 3 Eastern. Thanks for watching.
4: Price picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepickscom play100 and use code PLAY100. That's code PLAY100 at pricepicks.com play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Price picks, Daily fantasy sports made easy.